Welcome everyone to the England Family Podcast. My name is Josh England and I'm joined by my brother Zach today. Welcome everybody. We're excited to be with you. One of the things that Zach and I and our brothers like to do is every time there's a new truck that we get uh, with new technology or a new model, we love to go take it out and experience it. Go do a few trips in it and see what the latest and greatest is. And in our podcast today, we'd like to give you a little bit of a similar opportunity to peek under the hood of some of the new technology that's out there, uh, some of the new uh, advancements in our trucks and some of the things that will be coming in future years. Yeah, so uh, like Josh said, um, also we wanted to look at this uh, podcast and and, uh, bring something a little bit different than we've done before. Um, and so we've invited a couple special guests to join us. They're both uh, from Daimler Trucks North America, and uh, both of them are uh, longtime industry uh, uh, execs and have have been doing this for almost 25 years each, actually. So we have a lot of great years um, uh, of experience, and, and I think you're going to find this really interesting. What we did leading up to this was we took um, – we solicited questions from our road team captains that we'll be hitting on here in, in a few minutes, um, as well as some some of the questions that Josh and I have um, about the future of the trucking industry and specific questions about components and different things that we think will be really interesting. So let me introduce our two guests today. Our first guest, uh, we have Mike Stricker. We'll actually turn it over to, to them to, to give a little background. But we have Mike Stricker and Glenn White. Uh, that are joining us. Again, both of them um, have uh, worked closely with CR England over the years. Both have been out to our Salt Lake City facility. And uh, Mike and Glenn, we'll, we'll turn it over to you guys to introduce yourselves, but thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you. I think we very much appreciate the opportunity. Um, this is uh, Mike Stricker speaking. Um, I'm the director of our field sales engineering team for Detroit and at anything branded Detroit, powertrain, engines, transmissions, axles, uh, advanced driver assistance systems and uh, connectivity. Uh, I've been working obviously, uh, as was said, for uh, 24 years with Daimler. I've got about 29 years of experience uh, in powertrain and, and trucking industry. Um, I, yes, I very much have had uh, a long history with uh, CR England. Um, I, thinking back on that, I think the first time I, I called, I called on them. I'm Portland based, by the way, uh, even though I, I'm, I'm, I wear the Detroit uh, brand proudly. Um, was maybe 10, 12 years ago, we were doing research on uh, what what is what would it take and to get the industry interested in uh, automated transmissions even though automated transmissions were already in the market and they hadn't been really successful uh, so we developed a questionnaire and came out and asked questions uh, of some of the executives at the time and I even did some uh, some driver interviews uh, and not 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 long after that we came in and tried to uh, convince you guys to get interested in our axles uh, and I've even been your, uh, actually, before I took this role, I was actually your account representative for Detroit uh, and did that for about three years, helping you with uh, your powertrain specs. Um, my team's primary role is uh, really just to help customers uh, spec and pick the right powertrain. 
the right components for the job. Make sure that once they've taken delivery of it, they're getting the most of it um, for whatever their needs. Is it for fuel efficiency? Is it for power? Um, do they want to do something unique with uh, with an opt-idle setup based on temperatures? Uh, we do a lot of after-sales support. And probably our most important role is just tra training. That's kind of what you're wanting to do here. Um, training is, is our key focus uh, because technology is rapidly changing and it's so <clears throat> advanced. People are taking delivery of their trucks and they don't even know why it's beeping or doing things. And they need help. And that's what we're here for. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Mike. We'll uh, we'll have lots of questions about random beeps and different things that that uh, we've experienced out on the road. But uh, thank you, Glenn. Hey, yeah. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Glenn White here. Um, it's a pleasure to be part of this podcast. Uh, again, I've been with the company as well for 24 plus years, 28 years in the mostly automotive area. Um, kind of grew up through the company with Mike, so I've had several roles, albeit from engineering to sales to now the director of product strategy. So it's my job and my team's job to, you know, to develop a roadmap, right, for new technology on our vehicles, a new product development. And that's uh, developing products like the, the new Cascadia and uh, powertrain like Detroit axles, uh, Detroit components. Um, and a big part of my job really is, and I spent, like they uh, mentioned earlier, a lot of trips out to Salt Lake uh, we see Sierra England as a key strategic fleet, a very uh, progressive in their technology adoption, uh, honest business partner that we can uh, get good feedback. And for me, it resonated, and that's why I'm happy to be part of this driver podcast, is we had an opportunity, and I always use the word opportunity and not issue, right? That's just something I was trained to say, but uh, opportunity brought back to us um, from Sierra England that uh, we had a uh, we call it A-pillar deflector, something that goes on the A-pillar of your truck to uh, improve the fuel efficiency and soiling aspects um, in those conditions. And uh, there was a driver, a group of drivers, they gave feedback to your management that that was making a significant amount of noise. Okay, And so we jumped on an airplane and flew the quick 120-minute, uh, now or 20-minute flights to Salt Lake. Uh, got some honest feedback about that. We brought the engineer responsible for that component with us. He listened to that feedback. He uh, developed a prototype, which you tried in your fleet, which the feedback to that was uh, we had resolved that opportunity. And we're happy to say that that new component that you helped provide feedback to is now standard on every truck for every customer. So again, uh, we, my team in particular, but Daimler in general listens to you guys and we value that now and past and will be always into the future. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Mike and Glenn. I appreciate those uh, introductions. You know, uh, I'm sure our drivers appreciate that we uh, here on this call, we have uh, two of the, the prominent leaders and the largest truck manufacturer in the world and uh, and uh, leading in technology and, and uh, a great company. Uh, but even in spite of that scale and that, you know, those impressive uh, uh, titles and business cards, uh, you guys have been so attentive to us individually at our fleet. Neither of neither of you are strangers to our buildings. Um, uh, we've seen you there uh, multiple times. And, and uh, Mike, a, a, a memory comes back of, uh, as you know, we, we work hard to um, 
to do kind of rigorous testing on any new technology. We have uh, a fleet, some of our drivers may not know, we have a fleet of uh, uh, drivers who do um, do testing of new technology and we do it according to SAE standards so that it's all uh, properly measurable and, and, and validated. And uh, so we kind of pride ourselves on making sure that we understand the decisions that we're making from a specking standpoint. And uh, a few years ago, uh, we had tested uh, some things with the gear ratio. And, um, and I remember Mike giving, he said, yes, I know that's what your numbers are showing. I appreciate that, that that you know that you have put your home your work into it and done your homework and uh, but I'm telling you trust me here is a different decision that you should make that you're going to be happy with and we had the kind of relationship with Mike to where we trusted that and because uh, Mike knows his stuff he uh, both of these guys do and uh, and so we trusted that and even though the the data didn't show that at the time but sure enough. Uh, Mike was proven right as we uh, implemented that that change, and uh, it, it has been very successful in our fleet. And so, we appreciate both of these guys for their, in spite of being working for such a uh, a, a great and um, prominent company, that they give us that individual attention. Uh, so I appreciate that. And uh, why don't we uh, we jump into some questions? Uh, that I think we'll be. Um, interesting for our drivers to hear. Uh, in fact, some of these uh, have come from our drivers. We solicited uh, our road team members, our road team captains on, on what uh, questions they may have. Uh, and some of these uh, come from them. Uh, so let's, uh, let's jump straight into it. So let's start by talking about safety systems on the Freightliners. Uh, can you talk about what's coming in that regard? Either of you are welcome to Jump in on that. Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm more familiar with the here and now and the uh, kind of what's really coming shortly. And um, Glenn is very much focused on the a little bit farther out, um, but his team absolutely feeds me on the what's what's coming soon. Um, but maybe I'll talk a little bit about what's recently new um, with safety systems. Uh, that I'm personally proud of. Um, if you were watching a consumer electronics show a couple of years ago, uh, we introduced, you know, big big splash oh, level two uh, automated products. Um, but but really, all it really means is that um, the truck has some control over a couple of dimensions of driving, and that would be speed up and slow down functions, which already exist today in auto braking and adaptive cruise control, but also, to some degree, uh, assistance in steering. Um, so we introduced what we call active lane assist, which is a, an electric motor overlay onto what is a traditional steering gear um, that can sit in and ties into the camera and it watches the, uh, the road markings and tries to help keep the driver centered in the lane. Goes a long ways to reducing fatigue, um, but it only functions when you're in cruise control. Uh, but it, it also has a lot of uh, additional features. So because that's happening, it's helping you with crosswinds. Uh, you don't even realize it's happening because you're always fighting crosswinds. It's a lot of tension and stress constantly putting torque into the steering wheel. Some roads are heavily crowned. You have to deal with a lot of that. You might even have a blowout on a front, on a front wheel and it might want to pull you off to one direction. 
uh, and the system just inherently helps with those those driver activities. Uh, but it also just is a safety feature, and that if you um, if you got uh, you weren't paying attention or got distracted for a second, we also have protection of departure from your lane. So as long as we can see lane markings, we'll try and warn a driver and and try and nudge him back into the road. I'm very proud of those. Um, I, I feel great responsibility to make them available. I don't want people to be worried that it's the truck drives itself. That's not the case. It really is just a trying to make things better for the driver and to assist him. Uh, we also introduced in that um, uh, auto wipers. So um, anytime it starts to sprinkle, it can uh, automatically turn the wipers on and adjust them. We have auto headlight dimming with a light sensor. So you can just leave it in high and it uh, monitors the environment and can dim itself when needed. And also, uh, we have a new radar on the side of the camera, or sorry, a new radar on the side of the truck, uh, which we call Side Guard Assist. Um, and it's a significant advancement in that it's a two radars. One looks forward and one looks back. Uh, and it can literally see uh, five foot in front of the truck. And even if you're pulling a 53-foot trailer, it can see up to five feet behind the trailer. Uh, and it's there to help you when you're doing lane change, let you know that somebody's there you might not have noticed. Uh, and in slow, slow environments, uh, it also can monitor uh, moving objects like pedestrians and bicyclists to warn you that uh, you might be getting ready to run one of them over. Like you turn your turn signal on or you try to steer a little bit, you get good warning. Um, and then lastly, you know, it also looks at uh, stationary objects. So if there was like a jersey barrel or a, uh, something on the side, and it thought you were going to run that over some somewhere in the first, I would say, half of the truck and trailer. Um, the driver might get a warning if it's calculated it correctly uh, to try and prevent some damage. So those are kind of the what's currently available and only new in the last year. Um, yeah, I'll let I can let Glenn talk about what's coming, but things are come. We're we're in rapid changing pace, and things are coming quick quick at us. Just a quick comment. So some of our drivers may not know, we, uh, many may not know, we have a few examples of, of trucks that have a lot of those features you just described, including that, you know, side collision avoidance, and we're testing those and, and excited. They also have a big, beautiful LED display uh, in, the, in the cab there. Really nice. You guys are always working on great things. Yeah, one question, Mike, that, appreciate all that. It's, it's amazing how you know, basically the things we see in cars and the commercials in cars are coming this way. Um, and it's really cool to hear about all these things that are that are here and, and will be here soon. Um, as far as, you know, one comment we get often, and I've experienced this too when I drive, I got my CDL in 20 years ago, actually in the year 2000. Um, and especially when on guard was new, the forward facing kind of sensors, um, we would hear uh, about uh, false positives where maybe it was shadows from an overpass or trees or something like that when you're coming around a bend that would apply the brakes and would be um, very concerning for the driver. Um, can you talk a little bit about the kind of what's being done to improve that technology and or maybe even what's what's been done to get us to this point where we are now? Sure. So, um Falsing activity um, is an unfortunate side effect of technology, right? It's it's not perfect. It's it's not a human brain. Um, maybe I'll give a I'll give an example where that makes some sense, and then I'll talk about 
generation. And then that will be a good segue to what's coming because uh, there's a lot of advancements coming on, on, on that side of business. Um, <clears throat> you got to understand that, that the, the primary sensor on our, on our vehicles for collision mitigation is the radar. And the, the radar is just looking at reflective activity. And it's hoping that that reflective activity matches certain signals. And those signals might might be a motorcycle, might be a truck. Um, but sometimes the, those signals also look really similar um, when they're not that. Every now and then, like a, even just like a Coke can for a short period of time might look a lot like a, like a car to a radar. So... Um, the scenario that is actually a limitation that you, your drivers have probably experienced where this where it makes sense on how the radar and, and how its logic is different than your mind is imagine that you're driving on like a two-lane road um, and you're going, uh, let's say, 35, 40 miles an hour is kind of a rural area and there's a vehicle in front of you uh, and it's starting to slow down because it wants to go into the McDonald's to get a cup of coffee uh, and, uh, you know, a breakfast sandwich. So the driver's watching all of this and he goes, oh yeah, so I see the turn signal, it's come on, he's getting ready to turn, I see him slowing down, and he's starting to calculate in his mind, well, will he be out of the way by the time I get where he is now? And the driver knows all that, he knows he's getting ready to turn, and if he didn't have a collision mitigation system, the vehicle would turn and he'd carry on on his merry way, maybe never needing to slow down. To the radar, the radar, A, doesn't see a turn signal, so has no idea of intention. And all it sees is an object in front of it slowing down. And as you know, as it's about ready to make its turn, its forward mode zero. So if the driver allowed the, the system to get within our normal collision mitigation initiation sequence, which is three seconds, that sequence starts. Um, and, and may even result in braking before the vehicle is completely turned. But the driver knows that it was going to be okay. Maybe he should have slowed down a little earlier. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to give you an aggressive scenario. Um, but it probably would result in some braking. And I go, what well, a stupid thing. But it doesn't know. It's doing what, it, what it's programmed to do is it sees an object stopping in front of it. And therein lies an interesting input into what has changed. Um, generation of our driver systems, in particular collision mitigation, um, the latest variant, and by the way, we've had five variants, of which three have been available in the U.S. and Canada. We had variant two, variant four, and variant five. So your, la your latest vehicles are on variant five, and uh, variant five has a self-cancellation feature, and that is that if the vehicle, if the object that you're going to collide in front of, in front of you is no longer there, uh, it can actually stop the braking function. Um, older variants, once they enter into full braking, don't stop. Uh, and they require the, the driver uh, to intervene if it is making a mistake. And, and intervention uh, scenarios are there for, the, for these falsing activities. And if you look at generation like two, generation two had a, an optomechanical radar it was the same one used by WAPCO. You mentioned WAPCO in the beginning. So we were only as good as the in information we were given um, and could be prone to alignment issues. Um, we were trying to provide braking on moving objects and some braking on stationary objects. And moving objects are easier for radars to see. That's what radar does is it's looking for 
a Doppler shift. Doppler shift meaning like on a siren, as it goes by, it's loud, and then it changes tone as it goes by. Radar is looking for things to, to move, and stationary objects are challenging for it. Um, when we introduced our fourth generation of uh, radar, it became a completely solid state, self-aligning. Um, logic got better. We had lots and lots of road miles, and we could filter out things that we knew don't work, like an occasional overhead bridge on a certain freeway always has trouble for the radar. And you can filter all that data out and you get better and better about about uh, what's real and what's not real. Um, and the self-aligning helps and it has it. Uh, the radar could look farther and the longer it can look, the better confidence it can build. With FIBO, we actually added in uh, the camera as part of that process. And now the camera is doing object recognition or it says, oh, hey, that looks like a truck rear end. And by the way, there's some tail lights and there's a license plate. Um, but what we use it for now is only increasing confidence. So that is that if uh, we're at higher road speeds and the camera says, yeah, I'm absolutely sure, Radar, that that is something that I recognize. Please start braking a little bit earlier. We can mitigate, uh, we can mitigate and remove more speed before potentially collision. But we don't cancel it because imagine if you had like a car that was, you know, 180 degrees and it spun out and now it goes, I don't recognize that object. And by the way, I don't see any license plate and I don't see any taillights. And it goes, hey, that's not real, but the radar, sure it is. You don't want it not to, to, to do anything. So we're getting better and better. Um, the next iteration that, that Glenn will lead into, we start we start doing more and more training with the camera. We can actually give it a yes vote and a no vote, uh, which improves all of our, uh, our called falsing activity. But unfortunately, there is a certain <clears throat> amount of falsing activity that happens today. Um, hard braking uh, tends to occur in about one in every two million miles. That's from the data that we see. And about uh, every thousand miles or so, you might get one or two, I would say little beat from the system saying, you know, hey, there's something, and then it stops. Might have been a sign, might have been an overhead bridge. But uh, that's the current state of development um, that, that we're at. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And I'll, you know, just before uh, we kick it over to Glenn, you know, the we have seen wonderful results from this technology. Uh, our rear-end accidents are way down. Uh, so we're, we're absolutely thrilled with the technology. And the, the you know, our driver's, I think it's safe to say are very grateful for that as well from a safety standpoint. Um, but yeah, some of those false positives come up and it, it raises some questions. And so I really appreciate you taking us through kind of the background and the improvements that have been made and that we're on the, the Variant 5 uh, level right now with our new equipment. Uh, Glenn, uh, as far as moving forward into the future, what are your thoughts? Yeah, a couple yeah, of things from my side is, um, you know, we have several pillars when it comes to the Cascadia product. And uh, certainly one of the most important ones is safety. Okay, and so it's a driver assistance system. So we certainly recognize and on this call in particular that the most important safety device or is the driver, right? So the driver, you know, it's important that uh, he or she is, is safe and we recognize that. We wanna give those drivers the tools to improve and mitigate crashes where we can. So our, our you know, our vision is, Accident-free driving. I mean, that's the vision, you know. So we can uh, just do what we can to knock off one use case at a time. So, 
uh, as Mike said, the, the development of safety systems is like an evolution where one system sort of is a building block on for the next one. Uh, so we talked about, you know, there's a lot of changes in hardware where things are evolving as time goes on with technology. So we're going to enter in, uh, in you know, in the, in the next generation of safety. Uh, specifically, there are no hardware changes. They're mostly software type updates. So there will be, Mike talked about the side guard assist with the radars on the side. Uh, so what will be enhanced with that one in the future and around the 2022 timeframe will be uh, active side guard assist, meaning uh, if you know you get a warning in the system that we have today, uh, but in the future, you'll actually have partial braking to avoid a lamp pull or, or whatnot at slow speeds and around the city, which is important. Also, uh, Mike, uh, we also didn't quite mention that there's a traffic sign display happening today. We're just getting certain road signs that will come up in the dash. Um, tell you what the speed is, et cetera, and so forth. So uh, that's more of a passive system. However, in the future, there'll be logic that we thought would be ready earlier, but was not. So to be, it was delayed. So that'll come out in 24, where we refer to that as active speed intervention. So there's certain logic built uh, into the system where it would recognize the speed sign. And then depending on certain cases of length of time and certain speed limits, it would uh, warn the driver and then possibly at some point in time take action that could include dethrottling the vehicle or kicking that dry road to cruise, et cetera. So those are things that we'll review with the fleet management in Salt Lake uh, to just make them aware of what's happening and, and they can make the right decision on what they want to option for the truck. A couple other good features, you know, Mike talked about ALA, which is the active lane assist, and the driver needs to be in full control. Let's be clear, the, the truck isn't driving. And, you know, really we have steering wheel sensors. So after a certain amount of time, it'll sense that your hands aren't on the wheel. And if you figure out a trick to, to try to trick the system there, we also have a seat occupancy sensor so that the system knows you're out of the seat. So two things together, uh, make sure the system is, has a driver in control the whole time. So. If a driver, we were often asked if a driver comes in, incapacitated, there's a certain mitigation steps or if he or she takes their hands off the wheel, you go through a sequence of events. And one thing we had at the end, in case of that incapacitation is, you know, the, the vehicle will come to a full stop and will engage. We, we, refer, we refer to auto stop, where the truck will be put into a stop and, uh, and keep it safe on the side of the road if that situation will occur. Um, the other last software update, uh, not that exciting, but some vehicles have what we refer to as brake hold, where if you're at a stop and go situation to help with driver fatigue, if you push the, the, the brake pedal uh, further to the floor, it'll actually hold the, the vehicle and without the, your foot on the brake. So that's uh, just to help with driver fatigue. Then the next evolution, you know, we're looking more towards like, uh, you know, we try to do something every two or three years. Uh, there's, a, like a, I would say, more significant set of features coming in 2024 timeframe. And this will be phased in to allow the fleets to get accustomed uh, to the new technology. Some of the things we're looking at then is we're taking the uh, active side guard assist to the next level. What is the next level? The next level, currently, we have it on the passenger side of the vehicle, right? That's where the, there's, a, I guess, the most amount of blind spots for a driver. Uh, have as an option the driver side as well. So you have both driver and passenger side. And as an option, 
with that steering gear that uh, Mike referred to, you could actually have micro movements to 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 put the truck back in either the to move it left or left right depending on the situation. So that's something that's coming. Um, probably 20% of fatal crashes, class 60, uh, happen at uh, what we refer to as a cross traffic or a cross intersection. There was a, quite an incident in Canada. I'm a big, I'm a dual citizen, but I'm a big hockey fan. There's an unfortunate event in Canada with a hockey team that got hit by a truck and, and by within a bus. And so that resonated with me and, and our team. And you know, we're coming out with something called cross traffic assist, where there's additional radars put on the truck, and will help sense cross traffic approaching and engage partial braking. So something that's coming in 24. Uh, there was a question on the list ones that were submitted about mirror cams. You know, we uh, offer pre-wired today. In 2024, we will offer these mirror cams on Cascadia. Um, and you know, we see that not as, uh, you know, eventually the, the law doesn't permit it yet to re remove your glass mirrors. Um, that's not our motivation to do this for fuel economy because you do save some fuel economy using the mirror cam because you get to remove those glass mirrors. Our motivation is more safety because the night vision and some other uh, aspects of the mirror cam uh, really help with the safety. And uh, so that's something that we're going after in that time frame. Again, and another option would be the last I'll speak to here is uh, electronic park brake. So, you know, there's situations in trucking where, you know, that you know you're reliant on uh, pressing the ketchup mustard uh, valves, right, to make sure that your park brake's engaged, and it happens out there where you forget to do that, and we have that annoying horn if you open the door. But what if you don't open the door? So, uh, we're going to engage a uh, new electrical park brake, which will sense that automatically and put the vehicle in park, which will com completely mitigate or eliminate any type of rollaway, because that could be. Uh, they could, you know, I know there's uh, deaths that occur in, the, in uh, with that, that situation happening. So that one went in there. So, you know, again, we're always building on the safety and it's really a paramount important to us and the driver safety in particular. Uh, so we're really excited to share these type of insights with you today. You yeah, guys always wow. have a, a nice long list and, and uh, <laughs> of things you're working on and, and they save lives. And, and thank you for all that energy that goes into it. Mike, did you have something? Yeah, I was just kind of thinking back when I started in 97. I was confirming that that was 24 years. Um, I, I thought trucks were so far behind automotive. Uh, and I said, oh, well, product strategy is probably easy because uh, just just look at whatever's available on cars now and 10 years later, that'll be that'll be in a truck. Um, we're starting to get to the point where we're, we're almost aligned. Um, in some instances, we're innovating on the truck space because it doesn't. But I did learn. Um, is that it, just because you see it in an automobile, maybe even a, if, if for some reason you were fortunate enough to be able to afford a fancy Mercedes, there's a lot of there's a lot of really nice features in there. You know, why didn't they implement those in a truck? You know, we're talking about you know helping steer you back into the lane if if you're about ready to run somebody over next to you. Cars already do that. Um, it's it, you can't just port it. Uh, the center of gravity of a car and the and the, and the technology is like we use we we brake with the uh, sorry we steer with braking on the axle and it kind of causes it to turn the other way. Wait, you can't reliably do that with an air brake system and get good control of the brakes 
and center of gravity is a big challenge. And so like how much steering can you get and how quickly can you wind it in without rolling the truck over? And there's so much more technology in just that simple concept than what it takes to actually do it in an autom- automotive industry. So th- I think that's really important for be- all the drivers listening going, where is this? Why does it take so long? Um, th- that, that's the reason. It just takes much more development on the truck side. And in some instances, the truck isn't as advanced. You know, we, we aren't using electronic brakes. So we, we got kind of a relatively old system and we have to, we kind of patched it and patched it and patched it. And, and we're limited by that. And, uh, and we have to work with it. So keep those things in mind. Yeah, different set of challenges you're trying to tackle. Uh, let's shift gears to talk about fuel economy. And, and uh, I remember, Mike, you remember this. That you you probably will remember this. We haven't talked about this, but I think this was when a, uh, I think it was when the Cascadia was first coming out, like the initial version of the Cascadia. And you guys had had uh, worked on it from a fuel economy standpoint, which you guys are leaders at, and uh, and had some statistics on it and and we're excited about it and 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 brought it to us and we uh we started running those trucks and and we weren't seeing the same thing and we went to you guys and in this the great spirit of partnership that we have you guys listened and uh and we showed you our numbers and and how it wasn't matching up and and i remember going up to portland and and you guys um i remember you uh showing me the process you were going through and that included um, putting the trucks in the wind tunnel. And what you ended up determining was that if it, in a normal environment with no wind, um, it was performing exactly as you, as you guys had engineered and, and that you had tested. Um, but if you had diagonal wind or side wind, it wasn't quite doing that. And so as a result of that interaction, you guys made some design changes that ended up, we, we saw the measurable difference where it then lived up to the uh, to the promise that we all had in mind, and uh, just appreciate uh, the openness, uh, you know, to our feedback, and and that's how, you know, you can continue to improve the product like you have. So, just a couple words, if you could, about what are some of the things that you've uh, that you're excited about that you've worked on on fuel economy, and 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 what else is coming in that regard. Okay, well, you, you called me out specifically. Maybe I'll start with that. <laughs> Um, I do definitely remember the aerodynamic drag sidewind discussions. Um, Fortunately, it wasn't my main area, so I didn't have to get too involved. But um, I think when you were talking about the 216 or the axle ratio adjustments, you know, we aren't infallible. Um, And we make make recommendations based on uh, the best uh, evidence that we have with as much integrity as as we possibly can. That's one of our, our, our core core values is, is integrity. Um, so yeah, I remember, but I, I, I'll let, I'll let Glenn talk about the, about the tunnel. Um, you know, for fuel efficiency, uh, there's a lot that goes on on the powertrain side, which is kind of, it's, it's always kind of like a part powertrain, part vehicle. And, uh, each one contributes a certain amount, uh, every time we do we do an improvement. Uh, and sometimes they're aligned and sometimes they're not aligned. Uh, but the, the one thing that, that, that Detroit always uh, has pushed and has for at least the last 15 years is this concept of running, uh, running your engine at a slower RPM to do the, at the same road speeds. Um, and it just logically makes sense if you think about the physics uh, 
if you've got if you've got bearings spinning, if they're spinning at a slower speed, there's less frictional losses. If your combustion, if your piston has to go up and down, you know, 10,000 times in an hour versus 9,000 times in an hour, there's that many friction losses on, on the ring contact with the sidewalls and so on. Plus the longer time means, you know, longer time for combustion. You get better and more complete combustion. So that concept uh, is something that we're doing and are planning to continue moving forward. Uh, so when, when you look at all of our advances in just specking, it's always related to um, to this concept of slower RPM, uh, slower engine turning speeds for the same kind of driving speeds. Uh, but that's just the, the specking side of it. There's so much effort put into uh, parasitic losses inside of the, of the components, the engines, the axles, transmissions, the bearings taking out every parasitic loss you can think of, rapid improvements in, in oil and lowering oil viscosity so it's thinner and you don't have to drag against thicker oil. Uh, and it kind of goes on and on. And lots of interesting innovations, like the, the last version of went through a, a major change on, on gears. Um, Daimler was the first one to actually industrialize uh, super polishing gears that had already been hardened. So basically, you know, when you when you put gear, when you put hardened gears into transmission, you run them a couple hundred thousand miles. They they eventually get really smooth and they like each other. And we figured out a way to actually do that in a in a um, manufacturing environment uh, so that it comes out of the factory already super smooth and and you get better efficiency from that. Um, and of course, everything that 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 we do, the driver is the biggest piece, <laughs> right? Um, and we, we try really hard uh, to, to talk about drivers' core responsibilities and what can they do. And uh, vehicle speed is a huge one. Uh, and, you know, that's always a, a mixture of, of, of your recipe for getting jobs done. How fast can you safely go and legally go and should you allow? Um, how hard do they step on the throttle when they need to get going or want to pass somebody? And how and how much do they anticipate braking? If uh, if you just lit off on the throttle versus uh, applying the brakes later to stop, you uh, are far better off in the first scenario in your fuel consumption. So they're the big piece, uh, but we try so much to help them out, like with predictive technologies for cruise control. We try to help smooth out rolling terrain and take advantage of that, like you would on a bicycle or a roller coaster. And there's a lot of there's just a lot being done on the powertrain side to help, and like the most current version of the engine that's coming out in January, and I believe you guys already have a couple of, is uh, our Gen 5 motor, um, and there we've made huge improvements just in the combustion process uh, to improve reduce uh, pollutants and uh, to improve the efficiency. So, just a small taste, uh, but a lot of it's driver training. It's the biggest part. It's the one you can affect the most. And the rest being specs. And then the last little bit are the parts we spend so much money on, and that is just parasitic losses and design and specking. So, Glenn, hey, thoughts on the... Mike, yeah. you mentioned DT-12. Who was, your, the, who was the first fleet to use the DT-12? I believe you guys were the first ones to use it in uh, 100%, meaning 
you uh, you jumped in head first <laughs> with the DT12. I'll never yeah. forget that because we we argued so much. We're like, well, I figure the fleets will try like ten or a hundred, and I'll make sure they work, and and then maybe two years or three years down the road when they've proven that they that they're durable and reliable, then maybe they'll switch. And you guys are like, nope, let's do it. <laughs> Excellent. Glenn? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to echo that. I mean, you know, I talked earlier about the most important pillar is safety, right? We, we certainly know that uh, it doesn't matter what the diesel prices are, that, that diesel and fuel for big fleets is certainly a top expense. So fuel economy is important, too. Uh, it's one of our pillars. We, we have a, I have a team dedicated to working those projects. Um, you know, Mike's team supports that. There's a, a team in engineering, that's all they do. And, and both in the testing area, we actually buy our competitive vehicles and run them um, head to head. So we're always buying new competitive vehicles. You talked earlier about the wind tunnel. To me, that's just one of three pieces that we use. Okay, so we're, uh, we just love fuel economy. So uh, we use what we call computational fluid dynamics, which is essentially computer software that uh, simulates what different that allows engineers to kind of shape contours of A-pillar deflectors or bumpers or whatever case may be to see what the, the pop possibility of count, uh, you know, coefficient of drag reduction could be. Then we take from that, we may do a prototype, bring in the wind tunnel. Um, you know, we have that right here on site in Swan Island in Portland. I'm sure you've been there. And so that helps us to do that part. And then we run what we call our uh, Portland to Pendleton to Portland route. So it's from Portland, Oregon to Pendleton, Oregon and back. Um, there's a lot of, you know, topography that kind of simulates a cross-country route. And we use that to do this uh, on-road testing. So we have computational fluid dynamics, wind tunnel, and then real-road testing, which brings in some of those crosswinds you talked about. So it's a combination of three, and uh, they all have to correlate before go public with any type of announcement and our focus is you know i talk about the uh i call it powertrain improvements whether it be axle engine transmission uh, predictive measures ipm or something that could help predict uh you know to be in good fuel economy mode stay off the throttle etc and aerodynamics okay so we're we're getting near the end of our aerodynamic uh list we're, we're not giving up you know, we have an internal target to bring 5% fuel economy improvement every two years. So every two years, you want to try to bring that. It's getting harder. Uh, the powertrain certainly plays a big part of it. So, uh, you know, like Mike mentioned, we had uh, one of our first customer test units for this, what we call the Generation 5 DD15, uh, you know, was with you guys, right? So we had it out there first. If you look at your guys' spec, I'd say you guys are, uh, you know, leaders in the industry as far as how you spec the truck and what you put on the truck to maximize fuel economy uh, for your fleets. So uh, we're, we're always really excited to come and uh, talk about what the opportunities could be for the future um, and walk you through those and, may, and tweak them if necessary. We've done so. So um, I look forward to more feedback, any fuel economy project that we bring uh, and from your drivers and your management because you help us be better interesting interesting stuff it's amazing how much goes into it um that we don't really know about until we have a conversation like this so this is really good and glenn you just mentioned the future um want to ask you guys about your opinions and I, I recognize that 
you're not speaking for Freightliner or for Daimler Truck North America here. Um, so, you know, answer however you feel comfortable. Um, but there's been a, a lot of press. Our drivers see it uh, talking about alternative fuels, specifically electric or electric and electric and hydrogen hybrid um, with, with uh, some folks like Tesla and Nikola. Um, as a side note, I, uh, for those of you who are following the news, for our drivers, Nikola has gone through some some big time challenges, and there's some really interesting stuff about some claims that they had made. I attended um, their event here in Salt Lake when they unveiled one of their trucks, and and some of the reports that have come out have uh, have pointed to that being uh, some smoke and mirrors to uh, to make that uh, <laughs> yeah using a, a hill to make it look like it uh, it can power itself and. A so hidden, hidden so, extension cord. Hidden uh, extension cords. Yeah, there's some. Yeah. We're not going to ask these guys to comment on that. It's competitor <laughs> and, and stuff. But uh, anyway, it's just been it's been really interesting. But this is a this is a big deal for our drivers to kind of think about this issue and to understand what the future is going to be like. We're all familiar with Tesla cars and some of the benefits and drawbacks that that, that you know the electric cars bring. But we even have customers. So Anheuser Busch is uh, one of our dedicated customers and we have others that have that have made commitments um, to, to you know getting all electric or to reducing uh, you know carbon emissions and those sorts of things and so it's a big deal what's going on in the industry and uh, I have noticed that uh, Daimler hasn't been uh, nearly out front those those other companies that I mentioned before are more uh, kind of marketing is as much as anything. Um, and they need the capital. They need to raise the capital, and they need the attention. You guys are the the steady uh, leaders that have been doing this for for decades and decades. And uh, we know you've been thinking a lot about this. And I was wondering if you could talk to us about some of some of your thoughts on the whole electric and hydrogen issue. What are some of the challenges with weight and some of the other things that are out there to uh, to this being prevalent in the industry? And and love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'll start. I guess this time, Mike. Um, you know, we're 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 OEM trucking OEM, so we have already have the the vehicles. We have the dealer network. We have our customer base. Um, you know, my opinion, we're not a company that you know needs headlines. You know, we want to work very closely with our key business partners, such as yourselves, keep you educated what's happening. Um, we see electric trucks as a part of the future for sure. We're we're developing uh, an EM2 and e-cascadia so uh just you know we're focusing kind of on the you know that say the pickup delivery short haul type uh markets in those uh, for those vehicles um you know we made an announcement back in 2018 that we were working on them and we're doing them surprisingly enough when i see the first picture of the first uh, e-cascadia was a sleeper which you know to me it makes no sense right i mean it's a should be a day cab should be a port vehicle or something um, so that was just a marketing thing. So we're more, uh, engineers and marketers. So, but, uh, you know, in that in this year, we actually came out with, uh, an innovation fleet where we have some of these vehicles out on the roads, both, uh, 20 M2s, 20 E Cascadias, and we're getting, gaining a lot of knowledge. We started, uh, um, we call it a cross fleet, you know, E electric vehicle forum, uh, that we get a lot of feedback on that for future development. So the, the first phase we call Gen 2 eCascade EM2 will be launched um, near the end of 2021. And then there's already a Gen 3 planned 
Uh, some of the challenges that we see, certainly you touched on it, is one, I see four main challenges here um, from my seat is the weight, like the batteries are quite heavy. Um, you know, weight is important in trucking. So uh, weight's a challenge. I'd say the battery technology itself is very challenging uh, because, you know, the range is important, right? You know, we hear a lot of claims about range. Uh, what we say is the EM2 range is, uh, and it could depend on a lot of things. I want to preface that. I know you know that, but roughly 200 to 230 miles on a charge, eCascadia roughly 250. Um, and it could take, you know, EM2, the recharge time, we usually say about about an hour for 80% of charge and for the Cascadia about 90 minutes uh, for the same. So uh, the range is certainly something we gotta be aware of and deal with. The infrastructure, right? So, I mean, you know, there's not uh, electric charging stations all over, the, all over the country. So you have to be aware where those are. I remember uh, when I was working for Ford, uh, they were just launching, this is like maybe 20, 25 plus years ago, uh, natural gas vehicles. And I got to drive one for a couple of weeks and I had to really plan out where I was going to, I was driving from London, Ontario to uh, Montreal, Quebec. And I really had to have a, a piece of paper with me knowing where the stops were going to be so I could fill up. So infrastructure, there's cost with that. And you're talking about high voltage uh, current and whatnot for to charge these vehicles. And certainly the cost could be uh, a challenge as well. You know, it's an incentive driven market. And so we have to work now into the future to uh, bring the cost down. So there's a certain niche for those. Uh, hopefully I spoke, you can ask, you know, get asked me some questions on electric. I can speak to hydrogen as well. Uh, we, we made an announcement this year that uh, we were gonna do a, a joint venture, venture with Volvo trucks globally. So Daimler trucks and Volvo trucks will do a joint venture, right, to uh, develop, produce, and co uh, commercialize hydrogen vehicles. Uh, we don't have a timetable. This is a relatively new announcement for that. So what we do know is Martin Dom, head of truck group globally, made a statement saying that we want to be CO2 neutral by 2040, right? So that's our vision uh, to, to get there. And we think that we feel that electric vehicles and hydrogen vehicles, uh, we need those to get there, you know, and, and I would say hydrogen vehicles is more like a, lo like a long haul segment, you know, where an electric vehicle would have uh, range opportunities, let's say. So I don't know if you have anything to add, Mike, or you guys had any questions on those two things? <laughs> Uh, maybe it's good that you preface that would just get an opinion and sometimes not just the Daimler res official response um, from my side. Um, but first of all, I, I would I would really kind of wish we would do a little more uh, marketing splash because I'd like to see the Daimler stock doing a little better than it is. <laughs> um, I did ask a friend the other day. I said, "What is it about Tesla? I, they, they they're not even making any money. How could you you know how could you possibly have so much value?" And he, I said. I said about their electric car, I said, why don't you buy one of ours? He said, I didn't even know you guys made electric cars. <laughs> so it tells you that you can always do a little bit better. Um, there, there, there's no doubt that the industry is and has shifted. Um, there, there, there is going to be uh, electric powertrain, um, whether you like it or not. And um, it's being driven by um, uh, just general 
people's feelings, right? They they want they want clean technology, uh, and there's a lot of uh, governmental influences that that force that force people's hands, um, and that that's going to push us uh, more and more into those kinds of technologies. Um, from a from a since I'm a powertrain guy, for me, I, I love uh, new technology, and doesn't matter if it's diesel or it's electric. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, my team and our, our company will hopefully they'll allow me to help support it. Um, but one of the things that we can't ever forget, um, at least in the time being, uh, even electric vehicles, if you look at it just from a completely, we call it wells to wheels analysis, we're still, for the most part, burning um, natural resources to create electricity. It's still coming from coal power plants. It's still coming from natural gas burning, uh, and then it has to be converted and transmitted and then stored. And and it just it isn't efficient. You'd be better off just burning the coal <laughs> right on site in your truck. Um, but uh, and. and it reminds me. There was this beautiful picture of a Tesla car, and it was doing like a 24-hour Le Mans, and, and it was it wasn't real, but it it showed it driving. But behind it, on a trailer, was a diesel generator plugged in, blowing a big cloud of uh, black smoke, saying, "We got to run this generator to give you electric power." To go. Um, but it um, it's it's this classic chicken egg chicken and egg problem, right? You're like, which which came first, or you know, you, I don't know. But you, if if you need it to work, you you just got to decide we're going to make this work. And if there's so much, if there's so much infrastructure need, and there's so many electric vehicles on the road, it will drive uh, development in clean energy production. And that's why you see a lot of stuff on like nuclear fusion and other things that that will make it all work. Um, so this is just the Mike side of it. Um, you know, at some point we're going to run out of, of uh, fossil fuels to burn in our in our, in our petrol uh, internal combustion engines, uh, unless we you know do coal to liquid or gas to liquid. Um, clean clean electric energy is a very viable uh, solution for the future, and uh, I think we're investing in the right place in that space. So interesting. Just my thoughts. Yeah, no, that that's those are both appreciate those comments. You know, it reminds me. Um, a lot of maybe 10 years ago or something when, you know, natural gas was spoken of in a lot of these same ways. And we, um, on our part, had some uh, some natural gas trucks that we ran. We were able to receive subsidies because, you know, Glenn, one of your things, one of your obstacles you mentioned was price. And that was a, a big challenge. In the end, even with those subsidies, it's still it did not make sense for us financially, um, mostly because of the mechanical side of things and the fueling issues. It seems like fueling stations were up and down and, and some challenges came as a result of that. I'd just be curious, comparing it to the natural gas experience and what 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 we've learned as an industry with natural gas, how do you look at electric or hydrogen as, you know, I guess compare contrast, how is that different? Hydrogen has some of the same challenges as natural gas, um, and it's a smaller molecule, so it's uh, even harder to, to store safely. Um, so that that challenge is the same. Um, Infrastructure-wise, we all have electric infrastructure. It's just the question of whether or not the pipes are big enough at the location that you need it, and we're familiar with it. So just from my personal opinion, I think that one seems the most likely uh, to be easier to support. 
Um, but I don't know. I'll let, I'll let Glenn find some. Yeah, sure. That. If we look at uh, California, right? I mean, you look at the uh, carb regulations that are upcoming, and uh, there's opt-in right now. There's four opt-in states that would adopt those as well. So, you know, what I'm talking about is the particulate matter and NOx reductions that California is mandating. There isn't a diesel engine that can meet that requirement. It's just, you know, uh, you know, there's no. I mean, it could be a credit credit type situation for an engine, but the, the regulations that they're coming up with are not achievable with physics. Okay, so it's the only solution is going to be electric or some other green solution. So, you know, I think, and again, this is Glenn's opinion, but I'm kind of proud that you know our company is investing in these technologies, right, to to do the right thing. Um, for the environment and meet these regulations and uh, be very proactive and, and be learning uh, alongside our customers, uh, doing it responsibly so that we do have solutions when that day comes versus, you know, being very reactionary later. So, um, but I do see that the regulatory, especially California, is, is driving a lot of this. So I'm investing in the in the scenarios that have potential viable um solutions in the future um so like i said the volvo announcement on uh, the fuels hydrogen fuel cell we clearly see that 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 there's a lot of potential for that and we'll figure out how to help make that work um but i agree with everything glenn said for the next topic uh, same caveat these are your opinions not official uh, you know daimler uh statements you're we're asking you to make here uh, there is a lot of press about autonomous trucks are they coming and how soon? So it, Mike talked about um, this consumer electronics show, right? That what does a trucking company have any business being there? Okay, but we were there, we had an event there and we were unveiling the, uh, you know, the Molly or 20 or uh, 21, pardon me, cascading enhancements with this active lane assist. And Mike had mentioned that, you know, this is a society of, mechanical engineers, SAE, automotive engineers, pardon me, SAE uh, levels of autonomy. And by having that, what Mike talked to is the acceleration, deceleration, and side-to-side lateral control with ACC and ALA, a lot of acronyms, I'm sorry, active lane assist and collision mitigation. That brings us to what they referred to as level two. And it was at a press conference at that show where Martin Dom said, within the next 10 years, he would like to bring, he committed to bringing a level four truck. Um, automated truck so we won't we're not even working on level three we're working on level four um, and a level four vehicle has a driver in it okay so the definition you can look it up but the level four automated vehicle has a driver uh, you know so that's something we are working on um, we joked on a, on a pre-call but I think I'll be well I'll be my, my plan is to retire and play golf in Hilton Head and I think I will be golfing for many years before I see something like this so again, I think it's, you know, uh, diesel technology is important and drivers are important and they will remain that way. And it's just another opportunity for technology that we can lead and learn a lot from and uh, be responsible with it. So that's the way I see our, our uh, take on this automated journey. Uh, yeah, I guess I should give you input. Um, <laughs> First of all, I, I'm I'm sure the drivers are worried about 
um, possibly losing their jobs. Um, you know that I would be worried too if if I were them. If I, you know, if you read everything that like Elon Musk says, he's like, wow, you know, half a quarter of us all won't have jobs in you know in the next ten years because AI and computers are going to take over everything. Um, but he also like a year earlier had a, when he was talking about his own production facilities and, and talking about robots and AI he said yeah well humans are really underrated I made a mistake <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I think um, I think it's the questions are can you and should you right um, the, the can you is the is that intellectual challenge to engineers and to industry and to thought leaders. Uh, that's a challenge that we want to tackle because it's interesting and and you just want to solve it. The should you is the more interesting question because you know will will society accept such vehicles driving on the road? And um, you know if anybody's familiar with like aviation and they get on a plane, Christ for the the last ten years, those planes don't need pilots at all. They don't need a single one. They just need somebody to program it. And they will, they will take off and fly from A to B and land safely. The technology is there. The pilots are just there. It's level four already. The pilots are just there to uh, make sure that the systems are functioning correctly and in case something goes wrong. And even in that environment, uh, unlike, unlike the uh, driving on the roads, truck drivers are professionals. But everybody else on the road is not. <laughs> Uh, and it's a very complex environment, and we're all in a little space. In, in, in aviation, we're talking only professionals like the truck drivers in three-dimensional space with not many very vehicles, and yet they're still not flying by themselves. They still have pilots. And I question everybody listening is, would you even get on a plane if you knew there was no pilot up front? So um, – we definitely, as a company, we'll, we will find a solution. That's part of where I started. We'll have a product. We'll demonstrate all those things. But society will ultimately dictate whether uh, whether that becomes mainstream or not. But I think Glenn is always right. It's you still. I think the only acceptable one is there's going to be a driver in there, uh, and he's going to be safe. Um, so for me, and that's why I refer to things as advanced driver assistance systems. And it's there to help you do your job safely. And it's part of that goal of, of uh, accident-free driving. And this is one way to get there. So hope that helps. It's just an opinion. It does. Uh, yeah, that does help. Critical one. You know, and I'll share, I, I know I get this question a lot from our drivers. I'll, I'll share a conversation I had with, this, with a CEO of a major truck manufacturer. I won't share which one, because again, it was opinion being expressed. Um, and uh, so I'm I'm 44 years old, and uh, and I when I asked the question, um, are there going to be uh, mainstream trucks going around without drivers soon? He said, not in your working lifetime. Um, and he went on to give me uh, you know 45 minutes of explanation why that I'll try to summarize here in uh, in 30 seconds. But basically the Technology on forward collision is going to get there quite uh, readily. Um, yep, the side-to-side yep. -side technology we think can get there, but you still have the issue. Some roads are of poor enough quality once in a while that it's hard to distinguish the side of the road. And even if you can get it 99.9% .9 of the time, no one would accept that 
you know, one out of every thousand times you jump in the car that you're going to have an accident, right? And so the level of perfection needed is significant. And then, of course, all the liability concerns. Um, if something goes wrong, now it's all of those lawsuits going on the OEM. Um, and uh, that's staggering, uh, as well as the regulatory issues as as so, um, yeah, so one, one just quick follow up question on this. It's been discussed and, and Mike, you kind of touched on it that it's kind of along the way toward that technology, there will be uh, and and likely permanently, you know, driver assistive uh, elements to it. For instance, I've, I've heard it talked about that uh, there will be trucks that when you're on the freeway, you can go back in the sleeper and sleep. Um, and then you you wake up and you pilot it into the um, to the destination that that might be one of the steps kind of along the way somewhere. Any comments on that? Is that something that you've uh, that is being worked on that you could share or uh, that you're aware of? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, dad, everything is that there's there's states that don't even allow you to do any testing in them. Right. So that's, there's a lot of legal loopholes to get through. And, and you know, you. You know, a lot of fleets are 50 state fleets, 49 state fleets, whatever. So they're not going to, you know, they, they couldn't do that. So, I, I mean, as far as the use cases and whatnot, you know, we, I don't think we're even that far that, to that point where we can talk about it. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, you know, and, and here another idea is I'm the main interface um, from sales and marketing and engineering. And the core engineering group here at Daimler is, is, really not working on this there's a separate group so it's like a special piece of daimler engineering that's focused on this so you know we keep the we're, we're focused on the core business right now and that's diesel and that will be that way into the 2030s and so um i think it's way too early to, to, to i mean that's a long-winded answer but i don't think we can even answer that yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I will add, I, I really like those other comments. I, I, I wouldn't have said some of those myself. Um, uh, but I would also add the, the um, there's a morality piece too, right? Um, sometimes, in, you know, the, the, the system might have to make a decision. Um, and do you program that in? Like, what, what if you're going to crash? You know, should I, I have two cars I'm going to crash into. That one's got, uh, you know, a baby in it and her mom and the one people and I have to pick one um, does, it, does it even get down to those kinds of thoughts um, and it, that's what makes it so challenging um, but you're right I think the I think the the forward collision we can get there I think we're gonna get close on the on the make sure we don't crash into anything on the side but then things happen and they always require perfect in conditions and environments to, to, to function correctly and I'm with Glenn. I won't be on the golf course, but I'm. I'll be doing a lot of <laughs> a lot of fly fishing <laughs> before this happens. Well, those are those are really good thoughts. You know, I think about um, when when I hear people talk about driverless trucks out in the industry. Just to put a final thought on this, to me, it is it's really insulting to to drivers to what they do. It's not as if the only part of their job is just driving down the highway or something. There's so many other elements, especially with us, with a, we're a reefer fleet primarily on the OTR side, but there's just so many other elements of this job that, that just can't be automated away. Um, and so really appreciate your thoughts. I think we're, we're all on the same page. 
shifting gears, want to ask you guys a question about technologies. So uh, this is a bit of, I guess, a, a peek behind the curtain about regrets and just some interesting stories, if you're, if you're comfortable sharing, um, about maybe technologies that you've tested that failed, uh, thought things that you kind of had high hopes for and just didn't work out, um, that didn't make it into a truck or maybe did but shouldn't have. Curious if you have any good stories or, or, uh, or anything on that. Uh, hmm. I'd say a good one would be rack and pinion steering. That was one that <laughs> didn't last very long. <laughs> so that was a, that was a failure. Um, so uh, let me tell you a story. So rack and pinion is a good example, but you know, uh, I can remember, I think the beginnings, uh, of what we call product validation engineering started back in, uh, 2004 or so. And this is an entire group that all they do is validate things. Al Pearson leads up that group in engineering. Uh, we put millions of test miles on new products. And so why do we do that? We do that so in the efforts to try to minimize or eliminate, you know, false designs or something that's not going to work out in, into the market. And there's been plenty of things that... Uh, like an active grill that we used on a super truck design that wasn't really, there was a lot of challenges with uh, the cost of that. And you think about some of the unfortunate accidents that happen and a lot of grills that get replaced uh, really wouldn't be preferred by the fleets. Um, you know, a lot of times our engineers will say, hey, let's, let's design this, uh, this in specific engine oil for fuel economy. And it's in the factory, but once you use it for your first fill, that in your shops you want an oil that's readily available so you know there's certain things that we have to stop from being launched uh, we tried doing pairing for a while like the pairing technology and uh, we had a project for that I was running that project back in the day and uh, we had a lot of demonstrations that we've done and just uh, there really wasn't a good business case for it right that's, that's like the, the peloton kind of idea right where you'd have trucks uh kind of falling closely behind the lead truck right right you'd have to have think about your fleet and your routes and you have two drivers with you know equally loaded trucks going from both going from point a to point b right and uh in the amount of times you'd have that situation and we ran through that scenario with a couple of fleets and uh, wasn't viable so we we ended the project okay so there's plenty of examples of you know things that got out not so many um hopefully now but uh, i think we try to vet a lot of these throughout our development process because a lot some of these projects that we bring to market take uh, a new engine would take about five years six years to from cradle to grave uh, and some of these fuel economy ones are even like three or four years so there's a lot of validation time built in there um, but yeah, there's, there's some examples I gave that, you know, there was uh, the rack and pinion comes to mind. That was bad. That question is uh, linked to the comment that you, you always hear. Those that don't remember the past are doomed to repeat it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually, I, I, I don't like to think about the past. I always like to move forward. Um, but it, it always shapes everything we do. The two that jumped to my mind, uh, were when I was in powertrain product strategy, uh, that uh, were one you mentioned, natural gas. <laughs> I pushed really hard on that one. Uh, 
because uh, it just looked like it was gonna it was gonna take over everything and then diesel was gonna die soon and um, yeah you mentioned the reliability and others now we still sell some natural gas vehicles uh, in our portfolio for specific applications drainage and so on and as required for regulatory reasons um, and, and the other one is hybrid um, I, I pushed really hard on the hybrid one as well uh, and, and spent a lot of time working with one of our uh, one of our partners, Eaton, at the time. Uh, I'm not just a Detroit guy. <laughs> um, I am now, of course. Um, and uh, it looked like a really viable option to help save fuel. And uh, it just was uh, an utter failure and it didn't, didn't prove out what it needed to. And I don't know, a couple of years ago, Eaton had finally pulled the plug on it themselves. I guess they, they finally said, I guess I guess we should quit and put the nail in the coffin. Um, so, but doesn't mean we won't look at it again. But those were those were things we invested in. Uh, you know, it's when you're looking at all these technologies and where should you spend your money? You're like, yeah, those look like it could work, and you invest in them, and they didn't turn out. So, yep. no one wins a hundred percent of the time, right? Uh, no, it's worth trying. Uh, hey, last question. I'm just looking through our list of questions here, and and. Uh, Last question is, to what extent are robotics involved in the manufacturing of a truck? Yeah, okay, I just I brushed up on my notes here. Was, uh, I used to, uh, one, one life I lived was uh, I was a manufacturing engineer in the plant. So um, I'm not sure if you've ever been to the factory in either Saltillo or, uh, or uh, Cleveland, uh, North Carolina. But uh, we have, I think, about... 70 robots in the uh, cabin white area so this is the area where you know if you ever go there there's a pretty awesome vantage point where you get up in this catwalk and you look down on the robots and there's operators that come in and they grab the piece parts for the roof and the sidewall the back wall and the doors and everything and they sort of put them in this device then the the device puts them all together and puts them into a cell and then all you see then is uh a bunch of robots going in doing hen robbing and welding and drilling and uh uh you know it really does a lot for us as far as the reliability consistency and quality of that cabin white so we have robots in our cabin white area we also um and back in the day was uh, involved with uh, the project to bring in robotics into our paint facilities so our uh, cab and hood and miscellaneous cab parts are painted robotically as well and uh, I think one piece of information that maybe people don't know unless they spent time in the factory is if you had to lay a guess on how many paint colors a Daimler deals with um, you know some people might think oh you might have my 10 or 15 types of different we have over it's a thousand no not just red that's yeah. the most important color by the way but <laughs> yeah you do have like you know we probably have a hundred shades of red so again there's a lot of uh science that goes into the painting and again it's uh for consistency of of the paint and the quality etc so there is it's not like i came from ford motor company before it came to freightliner and uh, uh there is a lot more automation in automotive and uh but for trucking we're pretty proud of the uh the cabin white and the robotic paint um I want to segue off that red for just a second. I visited Pierce Manufacturing one time, and they said, "You've heard of Fire Engine Red, haven't you?" I said, "Yeah." They go, hey, "Let me show you." And we we went into their their paint uh, booth where you could select it, and there were like 400 Fire Engine Reds, <laughs> and they all looked different, but they were all red. <laughs> I, I, uh, sorry, I just couldn't help myself because that was interesting. Um, now it's just England red. Um, 
I think when we think of robots, we always have this classic uh, car robot, you know, that kind of spins on its base and it's got a couple of articulating arms and it can pick things up. And, and we do have those in the powertrain plant as well. There's one that uh, the transmission goes down the line and it's mostly assembled, but it has to be like picked up, turned over and spun and sat down. And it's just would be really awkward for a human being to do it. And it's fun to watch the device do it. But most robots don't actually look like robots or a traditional sense. Like if you look at our axle area, the gear cutting is a, it's a CNC machine, but it's really a robot doing all the cutting of the complex angles and the gears. We have robots that are um, doing all the head torquing, uh, you know, to the block. And we have uh, robots that are doing all the valve adjustments because it's just a really precise and critical area. Um, so I don't know the number of robots. I don't know the statistics. There are a lot, but it, there's a there's a huge uh, quantity of workers in the plant just doing a lot of tasks. I do recall, um, and I know Glenn's been there too, and he'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I went to visit the uh, Mercedes-Benz truck plant in Vert, Germany, and the first thing they do is they take you to the uh, to the main, to the top floor, and it's this massive building. And you walk in, and I guess it would be cabin white, and 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 there's not a soul in there. You can't see anybody, and 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 there's cabs going all over creation. There's welders and drillers and 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 spotting things and 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 hen rob machines and and out in comes a bunch of aluminum, and out the other side goes a bunch of cabs. And you're like, good lord! You you almost expect um, the Terminator to walk out, you know, from. <laughs> From behind one of the things and start chasing you through the building. It's crazy. And then you go downstairs and the cab comes out of the ceiling and then there's a thousand workers building because there's so much custom work going on. So the, the robots are really, really important in the difficult work or the things that require a lot of critical repetitive kind of stuff. Uh, the rest the rest of our assembly plants, there's just a tremendous amount of assembly workers doing very critical tasks. And it's fun to see that dichotomy, particularly in the vert plant. Well, very good. That's uh, Mike and Glenn. You know, just we're so grateful that you guys could spend the time with us, and we we probably went a little bit over what we uh, committed to you, but we appreciate you taking the taking the time and, and the the relationship that CR England has had with Daimler running Freightliner trucks in particular for for all these decades is a very critical one to us, and we know our drivers are very grateful for the Freightliner trucks that they're in and. And uh, we just want to thank you guys for taking the time uh, and talking th through this. This has been fascinating to listen to. We know our driver's going to love it. So thanks again for the time and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And, and to all of our drivers, uh, we appreciate you and, and be safe out there. Thank you. I appreciate thank the you. drivers, especially bringing me goods during these difficult times. I know that uh, sometimes it feels like a thankless job, and we really appreciate what you do, me personally and our company. Uh, thanks what you're doing, and thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for your business, and a feedback is a gift, so keep the feedback coming. We appreciate it.